We're going to start with Ezekiel. So we followed Ezekiel now for several weeks. He was a sort of trainee priest, but before he had the chance to take up his job serving in the temple, Jerusalem was attacked and the temple was destroyed and Ezekiel and many others were taken far to the east where they lived in exile. And, well, that was it. That was the end, you know. No temple. Where is God? Where are God's people? What's happening? And then God started to speak to Ezekiel. He started to explain to him and to the people of Israel through him why these things had happened. And then he started to say, this is not the end. And last week we looked at the Valley of Dry Bones, a whole mass of scattered bodies with no flesh, everything had rotted off, even the skeletons had fallen apart. And yet God said, this is what Israel is like now, but I can bring life back to this apparently hopeless situation. A bit later in Ezekiel, God starts to talk about rebuilding the temple. And for a couple of chapters, Ezekiel, in a vision, explores the rebuilt temple with an angel guiding him round, showing him the measurements, showing him how it's all going to fit together. And perhaps there is hope for the future. And now we come to the point where Ezekiel has a vision of God returning to his temple. And what was God promising Ezekiel and the children of Israel? There are three things. A restored future, a faithful Israel, and God's presence with his people. Now, a restored future, Ezekiel's future, was always going to be serving as a priest in the temple. Serving God, being the intermediary between God and the people, collecting the sacrifices, guiding the worship. And the heart of that was at the temple, this amazing building that Solomon had built and beautified to the glory of God. And he thought he'd lost all of that, but now God's saying, no, this can be restored. But although God goes into detail through this angel of how it could be restored, how it's going to look marvelous again, when God returns to the temple, God has different priorities. God doesn't say, oh, what a wonderful new temple. I like the way you've rebuilt it. Marvelous decoration. It looks lovely. God says, no. This is about me. This temple is my throne. It's where I'm going to stand in the presence of my fit people. The future is about the relationship with God, not about how pretty the building is or what sort of rituals you carry out there. It's all about God's presence with his people. It was difficult to tell what the temple meant to the Jews. It was a sort of cross between King Arthur's Camelot, Westminster Abbey, HMS Victory, and all the other icons of Britishness or Englishness that you can think of. And imagine being taken away from the country, those things being smashed. You think, well, what does it mean to be English or to be British anymore? You feel a bit lost. Well, in, in one blow, the Jews had lost that. But God's saying, yes, you can restore the temple, but the heart of it, 
the absolute heart of your nation. What your nation is all about is about my presence. It's about me. The next thing he's promising is a faithful Israel. The reason that they'd gone to exile was that they were faithless. They turned to other gods. They hadn't carried on worshipping God in the temple properly. And they'd brought other, um, other things into the temple, put, put their own idols side by side with the temple. And God's saying, no, that's going to end. My people will be faithful. The people of Israel will never again defile my holy name. He's not worried about defining the temple. It's his reputation, his name that matters. And we can see that the Jews as a nation have been faithful to God ever since. They've never gone up to, to idols and things. Even having lost the temple, having lost the very land they lived in, the Jews are still known as a faithful people. Sadly, they failed to notice many of them, God walking in their midst, but they are still trying to worship God as best they understand him. And the third thing is God's presence with his people. God said, I will be with my people. And I noticed reading this that uh, I saw the glory of the God of Israel coming from the east. Well, that's about the sunrise, about the sun, the light coming into the temple. But what's been happening in the east? Well, that's where Ezekiel is with the rest of the exiles. God is coming from the east because he's been with his people all the time. He didn't desert them. He was there speaking to Ezekiel. He was there with his people and he's going to bring them back to the land of Israel. And God's presence has stayed with his people. The Jews have lasted, the Jews have lasted thousands of years through terrible circumstances without a homeland and yet they are still known as people with their own cultural and religious identity. I can't prove that that's because God is with them. But nobody can say that God has left them to be scattered and forgotten. The temple was rebuilt by Zerubbabel, recorded in the book of Ezra. Probably not as glorious as Solomon's temple. They didn't have all of those resources. But it lasted longer. It lasted over 500 years until it was destroyed by the Romans in AD 70. Was that the end of God's promise? No. Because in the meantime, a remarkable thing had happened. God had become human and come to live with his people face to face. Jesus went to the temple and his disciples said to him, look, look how wonderful it is. The temple has actually been uh, greatly rebuilt. The second temple was rebuilt by uh, none other than Herod, believe it or not. Yes, the one who said, when you find the baby, come and tell me and I'll worship him and then did his best to get Jesus killed. Well, he'd actually, he was trying to persuade the Jews that he wasn't as bad as they thought he was. He'd put in a, a fantastic building program that lasted 40 or more years to rebeautify the temple and enlarge it to make it magnificent and the disciples said to Jesus look at this isn't it wonderful all these buildings all this decoration isn't it fantastic 
And Jesus said, if you destroy this temple, I will raise it again in three days. Which was a bit of a strange thing to say. I mean, why would he consider destroying the temple? Um, What's so significant about three days? Later, of course, they understood that he wasn't talking about the buildings. He was talking about himself, that he would be killed and raised on the third day. Jesus is referring to himself as the temple. The temple isn't a building. The temple is where God is. That's God's point of view. Where God decides to be, that's his temple. And he was now personally present on earth. And at the moment that Jesus died on the cross, that great curtain in the temple that sealed off the very holiest part of the temple where God's glory came, that the the high priest could only go there once a year, the rest of the priests stayed in the outer room, uh, the, the holy place, but not the holiest of holies. The curtain that sealed that off was torn in two. The barrier between God and his people was broken down. The whole point of the temple as the focus of God's presence blew open and God was personally present to his people. 50 days later, another remarkable thing. God's Holy Spirit came down on his church and the disciples saw it as flames flickering over them. They could see with God's eyes God's presence burning in their lives. And Paul in his letters refers to Christians as temples of the Holy Spirit, focuses of the presence of God. And in Revelation, the message to Philadelphia is the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. So in God's view, the temple is the place where he is enthroned. And he is enthroned in the church of God on earth. There's no need for a building We are all members of his temple wherever we are. John, at the end of Revelation, brings a new prophecy of a remade earth. Not just a remade Israel or a remade temple. The whole earth and the whole heavens to be renewed. And he uh, has this vision of the heavenly city coming down from God out of heaven, the new Jerusalem. He says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. So here's a new set of promises for God's people. A perfect future, all nations living by God's light and God's presence unlimited. A perfect future, not just a nation restored to the land they loved, but everyone brought together. No more night or darkness No more crime or conflict. No more enmity between nations. Everything will be restored. All nations living by God's light. Not just the Jews to be faithful, but eventually the promise of the Jews to be a blessing to the whole earth. God promised to Abraham, through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. That promise will be fulfilled. Through Jesus, through the church, which was originally a Jewish church, All the first Christians were Jews. The faithful ones spread the church out and blessed the rest of the earth. And one day God will bring us all together, all nations living by God's light with no more war 
and no more division between us. And God's presence, unlimited, no longer kept to special places or just to living with his people as exiles in a fallen world. In the, earlier in the chapter it says, God's dwelling place is now among his people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. The original relationship between God and Adam and Eve when he would walk with them in the garden, face to face, nothing between them, will be restored. No barriers or requirements or sacrifices or anything needed to prevent us being in his full presence. A wonderful promise for the future. But what about now? What about today? Sounds a bit, uh, well, it's going to happen eventually, but for now we just trudge on. We've been told many times in this church that the church is not the building. The church is the people. Anybody remember hearing that? Yep. We've been told, well, I think we've got the message. The church is the people, not the building. And it's the truth, but not the whole truth. Now, I started asking, why am I in this church? Well, about five years ago, uh, my family and I used to visit... Visit Eagles Cliff quite regularly because there was a music class that we took our children to. And because of circumstances, they moved from where they were into the rooms at the back of the church that were rented out on a Saturday. So we came on a Saturday and took the children into the class. And while we were waiting, my wife, Caroline, came to the back of this church and looked through those doors. And the church was empty. There was nobody here. But she could see, with God-given eyes, she could sense the presence of God in this church. This church is a holy place. This church has been set aside, has been sanctified for the worship of God. And every Sunday and times in between, we come here and fill it with God's service, with God's worship. This is a place where God is present. And if you imagine God looking down from heaven on this world, he sees all saints, this building, glowing with his presence. And then on a Sunday, when we all come together, it blazes up like a bonfire because so many representatives of God's family, people filled with the Holy Spirit, are in this church. And it's fantastic and it blazes forth. And then at the end of the service, when somebody says, go in peace to love and serve the Lord, we all say, in the name of Christ, amen. That's not just a bit of punctuation to say, you can wake up now, it's time for coffee, to tell us that the service is finished. It's like lighting the fuse or pressing the plunger on the detonator. And the church goes, bang! And we scatter all over Stockton and all over Teesside and back to the communities where we live and work and serve. And it's not just this church. It's Trinity Methodist around the corner. It's the parish churches down in Egglescliff and Yarm. It's Stockton Tabernacle. All the churches around. There's an amazing number of churches around. And God sees them every Sunday blazing up and going vroom. And churches go all, people go all over the place. And the sparks of God's presence scatter across the country. It's not just churches, it's life groups. Each week, life groups, boom, 
people go out energised and encouraged. Christian homes, individual Christian families, they're glowing. And they go, whoom, every morning, every day, bang, woof, wow. We are fireworks. We are the fireworks of God's kingdom. So at the end of the service, you don't just trudge home. You're taking a flame out into the community. And flames have effects. They catch light. Other people catch light. More people come in. That's why this church has grown. Because God's presence goes out into the community with each one of us. So when you leave here, know that you're not just a human being trudging off to do your duty. You are a living example and pot, a, a container for the presence of God. God goes with us. God goes with you. So be encouraged to go out and be the representative of God in the community. His eyes, his hands, because when he looks at you, that's what he sees. He sees you carrying his life out with you.